Welcome to the Project Fitness Podcast for fitness professionals and fitness enthusiasts who want to be better at life. Fitness is the greatest investment of anyone's life. However, it's not easily obtained, and anyone who says different is just plain wrong. Join award-winning personal trainer and strength conditioning coach Chris Fudge every Monday as he explores all aspects of fitness that can lead you to your optimal health. Welcome to another episode of the Project Fitness Podcast. Today, I'm sitting down with Kiria Health, and Kiria is coming all the way from Hawaii. Kiria is a M-A-N-C-C-H-D. She's the founder of Kiria Health. They practice partnering with clients to help them heal naturally, and she works as a naturopath, holistic nutritionist, utilizing healthy alternatives to medication to get people healthy. Her specialties include blood sugar, brain support, gastrointestinal issues, hormonal imbalances, infections, detox, nutrition, mental health, trauma healing, pregnancy, and functional blood chemistry analysis, which is the main reason why she's on here today. Today, we're going to talk all about blood, including my blood. So Project Fitness Podcast welcomes you to the show. Awesome. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. Super excited to have you on. This is a very hot topic that runs in the fitness industry for a lot of people. Over here in Canada, the story that tends to be I'm not feeling good. I'm going to go see my doctor. They go and see their doctor. Their doctor says, okay, we're going to send you off for some lab work. We're going to get some blood work done. Client goes off, gets blood work. They come back into the gym. They say, yeah, they got my blood work. Everything's fine. I still feel like garbage. What's going on? And no one can help them. What happens in that scenario? Because you deal with people in the same in the same route, but you guys kind of do it a little bit different, yes? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so similar setup with the states, right, where um, at least the way that our laboratories work here is essentially those ranges, you know, almost everybody has gone to the doctor at some point and gotten some labs done, right? And then you can see if you're within the range or out of the range. So nowadays, the way that they get those ranges is essentially the net average American, um, at least in America, the average person is not very healthy, right? And likely similar in Canada for all those fitness enthusiasts and health enthusiasts that really want to be like at the peak of their performance. We don't really want to just be like the average person. So when we're going in to get those conventional labs done, or especially for those of us that are more health-minded and maybe more in tune with our body or our physical fitness, if we're feeling out of balance, we can trust ourselves, right? Like something is off. But then if we go in to get some standard labs done with a conventional practitioner, they're likely just comparing you to the average person, right? So it starts to become this discrepancy where maybe you are quote unquote normal or they don't see anything that's wrong, but really you're not healthy. So normal doesn't equate optimum health, right? So that's where we go into functional blood chemistry analysis. So we dive a little bit deeper to see, okay, maybe everything is quote unquote normal because it's like the average person in the country, but what are those micro imbalances that are starting to get off centered so that way we can help you to feel better faster. Uh, That's really important because I remember when I started in fitness, uh, blood pressure, uh, it used to be the norm you'd see on the blood pressure cuff machines. The norm used to say 120 over 80. Mm-hmm. Now what you'll see in some, some machines and um, the, these uh, uh, shoppers, drug markets, the drug stores here in Canada, mm-hmm. you will see on it a sticker that says the, the, the range is 130, right? Mm-hmm. Over 90. Mm-hmm. And I remember being like, wait a minute, that's, that, that's not the average healthy marker that was when I started in fitness, but it's now the average range. 
Exactly. Yeah. Average and healthy are two very different things, right? Um, so it's important for those of us who like really want to be healthy or not even just healthy, but like peak performance, optimum health and are more of the prevention mindset, right? Prevention is the best cure, checking in with ourselves every now and then to not look at those standard ranges, but to really ask the question, like, what is the best range for myself? And then everybody's different too, right? So what's the best range for me might be different than what's the best range for you, Chris, right? So just having somebody who will take the time to look a little bit deeper. Mm -hmm. So when you run lab work on people, is there a series of tests that you always go to? You say, we have to check these 10 things because these 10 things are going to paint the largest picture. Yes. Yeah. But it's actually so much more than just the test. So when we work with a new client, you know, we have them complete this intake form that is about 45 pages long. And most people just gasp when they read that because they're like, oh my goodness, but we really dive deep. So, you know, we do some of the standard labs, right? So CRP, like you already mentioned earlier, we do like a complete thyroid panel, um, which is a really, really big hot topic for women, especially like five times more likely than men to get a thyroid disorder, which of course is that gland in our neck. Um, that's like the queen of metabolism and, you know, depression, all these different things in our bodies. So even just circulation, right, which is super important for our fitness. Um, most standard labs will just do TSH, like thyroid stimulating hormone, right? And there's like at least 10 other markers that you could do to really get a big picture of the thyroid. But, you know, your CBC and differential and different mineral and vitamin markers and different hormonal markers and white blood cell, red blood cell, you know, different infection markers. So um, when we put together our report for our clients, it's not just like two pages, right? Like I was reviewing your labs earlier, Chris, that, that you got the report that we give to our clients is about 50 pages Oh, <laughs> holy moly. But you know, for some people they're like, I don't want that. You know, just tell me, am I like good or bad? Um, but that's not what functional blood chemistry analysis is about. It's really about like looking at everything on a cellular level to see like what's going on, you know, like testosterone was one of your markers, like what's going on with testosterone. But then when we look at all of those 45 pages of intake paperwork, we can see what was your childhood like, you know, what's your diet like, you know, has there been trauma? Have there been injuries in the past? You know, all these other things that can really affect the hormones because just looking at, you know, your testosterone in your serum, for example, doesn't give us the, the full picture when we look at our whole body. Cause we're not as easy as like a car, right? You can't just look at the engine or like the check oil light, like we're human. So we have to look at all the pieces if we want to get the whole picture. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think here in Canada, the standard ones they might ask for like, they might just test only five things on an average person when they're not feeling good. For myself personally, you know, I saw a practitioner and I said, could I get extra tests? And yeah. she, she's like, yeah, absolutely. So I said, I want to get this stuff tested. And then she also suggested I get additional ones. So I came back, I think it was only two pages, <laughs> not, mm -hmm. not, not 45. Mm -hmm. But what was your take on some of the stuff you noticed with me? Was there anything that when you had a quick look, you're like, oh, I have a feeling I can, I can tell what this person is like. Was there anything that stuck out to you? Um, well, I guess it's like a little disclaimer here, you know, when we're looking at everything, it's really from an educational standpoint, right? So it's not from the perspective of like diagnosing or treating disease or things like that, but it's really designed for people who are ready to take more ownership over their health and over their life, which is what you are. Right. So, um, yeah, I mean, I was really interested in your hormones when we were going through it because as like a physical fitness professional that you are, and just like a health guru, I know that you're really mindful of that. And of course, you know how your hormones affect your mental health and your gut health, which is kind of one of the keys to everything, right. Your gut performance. Um, 
And then just looking at that, like, I'm not sure if, if your naturopath, you know, is also doing like saliva tests too, or like um, stool tests, because there is so much that we can see in the blood, but sometimes for hormones specifically, like if that was something that you were really interested in, sometimes getting it tested through the saliva is actually the most effective way to see like real life results. And even throughout, you know, a month, because clearly like women go through a very clear hormonal cycle every month. Right. But men also, you know, they go through different hormonal changes at different times in the month. So, you know, knowing more about you, if I was going to do your functional blood chemistry analysis, for example, you know, seeing like what exact day of the month was that, or if that was something you wanted to dive deeper into, that was one of the main things that came up. It's like, what currently is on that paperwork that you have is not the whole picture um, with your hormones. It's a good start. It's a great start. It's way better than what most people get. Right. So that's wonderful that you have it, but um, just depends how deep you want to dive in. She said that to me afterwards. She said, we should do a stool. We should do stool samples of you. And mm -hmm. you know, I'm getting more tests this week. <laughs> so we're just a little bit early for my next, my next round of stuff, but she didn't say why she just said, I'd like to do. And I said, okay, that's, that's fine. But maybe she was eliciting maybe that for that purpose from a hormonal perspective. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So the blood, so getting blood work done for hormones is, are you just saying it's not as um, uh, accurate as doing like stool and saliva? Um, well, specifically saliva, there's a lot of research that shows that like when you test the saliva for the different hormones, um, it's just a lot more accurate than the serum. So serum is helpful. So serum is blood, right? So blood test, um, that's fine and helpful. And again, better than what most people do, but if somebody really wanted an accurate picture, then you could do, you know, for example, like, um, there's an expanded female saliva hormone panel that we do with our clients, especially if they are, you know, going through, um, like for the fertility process, or maybe they're feeling like perimenopause coming on, or they just want to be even healthier or more active at the gym or in their life, they're starting to feel brain fog or fatigue. And they're like low metabolism. They're doing everything right with their food and their exercise, but something is off. It really helps to track that through the month. And similarly with men, right. To see like, how are your testosterone levels different, maybe in the morning versus at nighttime or, you know, throughout the, the monthly cycle. So um, yes, overall, there's a lot of research that says that saliva is even more accurate than serum if you want to get like a big picture of you know, testosterone levels. You mentioned morning versus other times of the day. Mm -hmm. The standard protocol over here in Canada when you're getting blood work done is to be fasted for a minimum of 12 hours and get your mm -hmm. blood work done in the morning. Mm -hmm. Now, when I, every time I've got mine done, that's how it's always been. Yeah. But what's funny is the location that I go to is open at seven in the morning. And then it closes at seven at night mm -hmm. and they only do blood work. So oh. I was thinking there's people going in, you know, in the afternoon, they're going yeah. in at six o'clock, seven o'clock to give their blood work. How could that change the results getting it later in the day versus the morning? And how does fasting affect it? So many things. So, I mean, for some markers, fasting doesn't affect it. And it depends on, you know, what your practitioner or, you know, your nutritionist is putting together for you. So there's a lot of markers that aren't necessarily affected by, you know, eating or drinking um, other markers, clearly like specifically blood sugar ones or glucose are dramatically affected. Right. And some of us are super health nerds and we like to check our glucose and see, you know, our peak performance, even outside of going to the labs. But um that is how we recommend it. We recommend, you know, clearly fasting for at least 12 hours, hopefully not having like a bunch of cake or ice cream the night before fasting. And then you go into the lab and then they do it. Um, but it just depends on the individual. So I would imagine that 
for the most part, it would be their blood sugar levels, right? Because say somebody does go to your lab at 7 PM and then they were fasting maybe for 24 hours, then that could make things look maybe a lot worse, like even more severe, low blood sugar, or just not have the most accurate description of their lab panel. But you know, there's ways to work around that. Some people, they just literally can't go to the lab in the morning because of work or family commitment. So that's where it's a fine balance with everything in functional blood chemistry analysis is just meeting like the patient or the client where they're at. Right. And again, that's why it's really helpful to have um, qualitative and quantitative data. Right. So like that long intake paperwork um, or just at least a practitioner that will sit with you and listen to you in your story, because it is pretty easy nowadays just to go and get some blood tests done. But if you don't know what it means in the context of your whole life, right, you're even just saying earlier before we started recording that you have two beautiful little kids, right? that changes your blood chemistry, which is fascinating to see Or Sometimes we'll do, you know, um, blood chemistry with couples. And it's so interesting to see oftentimes how many things they have in common um, because clearly you share an environment together. Right. So it's just, it's interesting when you really get into it and, and dive deeper, you can learn a lot. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised. My cortisol levels are much higher now that kids later on in the day. <laughs> And they should be. And that too, you know, you're mentioning the difference between like morning and nighttime with getting your blood tested. We have this cortisol awakening response, right? Which I'm sure you're super familiar with where it really should be low in the morning and then get higher like throughout the day and then peak down at night, right? So that's basically the inverse curve of like our melatonin. But so many people, especially those of us who are, you know, working a lot or have families or maybe just a little stress, like you said, maybe higher cortisol, that cortisol level stays high all day long. Right. Mm-hmm. And then the melatonin is just low. So then you have issues with like insomnia or not properly digesting your food or a weakened immune system or more stress. So there's ways to balance that out for sure. Um, but that's another reason to do tests in the morning. You mentioned that food can change the results, you know, specifically blood sugars, as you mentioned, at different times of the day, does exercise affect your results? Like if someone went and did a really hard workout the day before giving blood or hours before, how could that change maybe some of the results? Yeah. So, um, certain like inflammatory markers in the body, right? So CRP, which is something that we mentioned before, right? So like the reactive protein is one of the most important, um, markers that I really like to pay attention to because it's a key marker of like inflammation in the body. Right. And we know that all disease or all issues really stem from inflammation or AKA stress. Right. So if somebody has a super intense workout before, um, then it can really increase that. But if somebody always, you know, like if you or I like did a workout and then got our blood test done, it probably wouldn't change it that much because we already have a regular routine, but maybe somebody, you know, hadn't been working out at all. And then they decide they're going to start working out the day before they do their blood test. Um, there's also really interesting research that shows if somebody has an argument, you know, then that can make their inflammatory markers go up. If they got in a fight with their spouse or, you know, their child or something before doing the blood test, then it can actually elevate that for up to 72 hours. So sometimes when I'm working with clients for a while and they've always had, you know, really low levels of inflammation. And then all of a sudden there's like a spike, I'm like what happened, you know, was, did you almost get in an accident when driving to the lab, you know, like how are things at home? So that's where, again, it's just helpful to, to dive a little bit deeper. Uh, you said a lot of uh, interesting facts there. CRP is a marker of inflammation throughout the body. Mm-hmm. And you said that CRP can be impacted by, you know, arguments or high stress situations. What are some of the other things that can uh, increase CRP in the human body? 
Yeah. Um, well, you know, it's really used as like a marker for cardiac events, right? So like stroke or heart disease, um, you know, can be connected with high blood pressure, things of that nature. Um, you know, for people who are maybe a little bit more out there or like mind, body, spirit oriented, you know, it's connected to like the heart chakra. So again, like past trauma, um, which is also really interesting to explore, but clearly like the obvious ones, right? So like a poor diet, right? If somebody has like a ton of processed foods in their diet, um, you know, of course we call it sad, the standard American diet. I'm not sure. Do you have like a sad for Canada or do you just call it standard American diet too? What's sad about it is we're not far behind. Oh. <laughs> we're not far behind. We're, we're behind, you know, we're, we're the U S is, you know, in 2022, I would argue that Canada is like where the U S was in, in, you know, 20 years ago. Okay. We're trending in the exact same directions from a health perspective, unfortunately. Well, thank you for all the work that you're doing being a pioneer because it's it's so important. But you know, the no exercise, no sleep, the stress, lack of community, which even just thinking about our global events recently, the last couple of years, right? People just being so isolated and like humans are social creatures. So, you know, just feeling lonely. I mean, depression, poor gut health. And then so many of these things, you know, as you're already aware, all connected, right? So it's not like if somebody doesn't work out, then they're going to have high CRP. I mean, maybe if they have high CRP, then they're not motivated to work out. Right. So it's almost like a chicken and an egg thing, because if we don't feel good, then sometimes it's hard to just get going. But everybody who's listening to this right now, I know at least is somewhere on their path of even just curious about like, how do I start? Right. Like, how do I start feeling better if you don't know what's going on in your body? Mm -hmm. In, in, uh, in the U S when you do lab work or blood work on people, are the readings the same like, like in mine, you know, we do, a, it was a milligram per liter, right? Mm -hmm. That's what it is on ours. Is it the same in the U S or you guys measure differently? Um, some markers, some markers are the same and some markers are different. And even within the U S like what we were saying at the start of our talks today is, you know, that range of what's normal, right? So you have some ranges that are like essentially the same as ours, but even within the U S like one lab can be different than another lab. And that's oftentimes because healthier people go into one lab or unhealthier people go into the other lab. So you'll see different parts of the country have different ranges, which, you know, for people who just really want to take charge of their health can be so frustrating because a lot of us just want to know, you know, what's actually going on. Just give me the real picture, right? You take your car in to get an oil change and you get a report that's spit out. That's like red and yellow and green. And it's like, okay, the tires need to be replaced or okay. Like the air conditioning needs to be fixed or whatever it is. Um, but when you're going into labs and they're just using like the average ranges, it's, it's almost like when you're driving down the road and it's a green light. Right. And then if it just turned red, that would be so hard because you don't have that yellow light. Right. So when you're doing functional blood chemistry analysis, it takes some courage to do because a lot of people, um, you know, not people listening to this, of course, but a lot of people are kind of like camels with their head stuck in the sand, right? Like they don't necessarily want to know what's going on in their body because sometimes it can be intimidating, but it's actually super empowering when you learn what's out of balance. So FBCA gives you that yellow light. You're cruising down your life. You know, the light is green. And then you see the yellow warning light, which would not show up on conventional tests. That warning would never happen. It would just either be your normal or something is a problem. So with FBCA, it gives you that space and time and awareness to say, okay, okay, you know, testosterone is looking a little bit off or, you know, my stool test is looking a little bit, immune system is a little bit challenged. It's not an autoimmune disease right now, 
but it's just a little warning sign that we need to adjust a couple of things. And that's so nice because oftentimes it's really easy to mm -hmm. reverse a problem when you get those warning signs. Mm -hmm. You said that there's some normative numbers that are just the average of people. Are there some things that are now, hey, this is norm, but it's not healthy? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned the blood pressure example earlier, right, which is really common. And um, that's a good one to reference too. But even just like the glucose levels have changed over time, right? So like what is considered diabetes versus prediabetes versus just healthy. Um, and then even within that, you know, conventional ranges, you know, somebody who's looking at it from the functional medicine perspective might say, this is normal, but actually because your LDL is also off and the LDH is also off and your immune system looks challenged and there's some auto antibodies like on your thyroid, this actually looks like it's starting to be low blood sugar, like reactive hypoglycemia, but I think it's going to bounce up to being insulin resistance, which is like pre pre-diabetes. So that was maybe a confusing little tangent there, but all, all to say that it's not just about looking at one marker in isolation, which is why our report is like 50 pages long, because it's all about the patterns, right? And people can get a blood test on and then Google what it means, but Google would never tell you, you know, what the white blood cell count with the red blood cell count, you know, with the CRP, with the glucose, what all of that means. Does that, does that make sense? Yep. I understand completely. Yeah. I had, um, uh, a gentleman, um, He's uh, 280 pounds, 281 pounds, got blood work done, came back, said he's all good. I said, mm -hmm. he's five foot, he's five foot 10. And I said, everything's good. And he's like, yep. Yeah. I said, they, did they test you for a lot of stuff? And he's like, just the, you know, the normal stuff. I said, like triglycerides, like fat and stuff. Yeah. And I said, all good. And he's like, yeah, okay. So this gentleman is in his mid fifties, right? And he's easily 45, 55 pounds overweight easily mm -hmm. for bone structure and his size. And he was told everything is okay. How can that be? Like where, where, where would that come from? Like what would, if someone's getting blood work, what, where would that ever make sense for someone to be like, you're okay? Yeah. I mean, that's so tricky, right? And that's again, why we use both qualitative and quantitative data because you know, some, we all know that skinny doesn't equal healthy, right? So it's not like just because somebody's skinny, they're perfectly healthy. And clearly there's all sorts of different body shapes and sizes. But, you know, when we look at somebody's intake form and we see, okay, like, you know, maybe they're having fast food every day or whatever it is, or maybe they just don't feel good if they're not sleeping well, you know, if they have low libido, if they have, you know, mood swings, something is off, right? Even sometimes I'll get FBCA data and I'll look at it and their blood work looks pretty okay. Some things are off, but then I can tell by their symptoms and by their health goals and their complaints that something is wrong, right? So then I just dive a little bit deeper into that. Um, but it sounds like, you know, with your client that probably not many of that markers were tested, right? And they were probably tested from the conventional perspective. So maybe the next time he goes in to get blood work, something is going to be seriously out of balance. So if we had done his blood work, we could probably see, okay, there's a couple of things that are not optimum, right? So they would show up as like yellow on our report, but maybe nothing would be in the red, which is great. I mean, good for him, right? If, if nothing is that serious right now, but it doesn't mean that things aren't out of balance. So, um, yeah, I, I think combining this, I used to be a fitness instructor and I'm still a yoga instructor. And it's really, really helpful to know, you know, how to best support our clients because they want to know what's going on. Like really looking inside our body. I believe that we have all the answers within, but 
knowing how to read them is where you would work with like a nutritionist or a practitioner because that's where it just gets confusing sometimes. If someone's listening to this right now and they said, listen, I'm going to get some blood work done um, shortly and uh, I'm going to talk to my natural path. I'm going to talk to my person. I'm going to ask them for to test specific things. Would you recommend, you know, if you're like, these are the five things for sure, minimum, you need to get tested to get a better picture of your overall health. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, well, definitely clearly glucose, like hemoglobin A1C, right? So hemoglobin A1C is kind of like the net average of the past three months of blood sugar levels in the body, right? So it kind of gives you a better longer term perspective on blood sugar. Um, glucose is that one that would change, right? If somebody, you know, fasted for 24 hours versus 12 hours, or if they had a lot of sugar the night before the glucose marker would change, but the hemoglobin A1C wouldn't really change. Um, and why, is, why is that one important? Oh, our blood sugar. So, um, someone's listening here right now and they're like, why are you concerned about my blood sugar? Thank you for bringing me back, back down a little bit. Sometimes get a little bit lofty, but blood sugar, we essentially need two things to survive as human beings. And I think we also need like love and peace and good friends and things like that, but essentially two things from a physiological perspective. And one is oxygen and the other is fuel, right? So anybody who's into fitness would know this also, but we need to be able to breathe. If we don't have oxygen and we're not breathing well, then something is wrong. So, you know, clearly if somebody has like allergies or even sleep apnea is a big one that we see if they're not breathing at nighttime, that can cause a lot of issues. And then the second one is fuel, which for the vast majority of us is blood sugar. Yeah. Some of us are doing like the ketogenic diet and only some of us who are doing the keto diet are actually doing it correctly and are burning ketones as fuel. So you know, most people, it would be blood sugar. So since we need two things to survive as a physical being, blood sugar, you can really, really see in your lab. So if that's higher, if it's low, you know, something is off and that's connected to our mental health. It's super connected to our energy, clearly connected to our metabolism, um, our overall nutrition. So, you know, you don't want it to be low or high. You want it to be right in that, that sweet spot. But um, yeah, hemoglobin A1C is a nice big picture, but also glucose is important too, because it's just the long-term and the short-term perspective. Yeah would be another one or two? Um, definitely your TSH. And then we do both thyroglobulin antibodies and then TPO antibodies, right? So a lot of people will get their TSH thyroid stimulating hormone, um, which is this like butterfly shaped gland in the neck that tested, but not necessarily the antibodies. And if the antibodies are out of balance, then um, autoimmune, right? So like against the self, then there can be the start of an autoimmune disease, which just wrecks havoc. So the sooner that somebody can identify that, um, you know, the better, because then you can know how to adjust your diet and your lifestyle accordingly. And I've had so many clients who have didn't know what was going on. And then, you know, we found out that it was a thyroid autoimmune disease, um, which is good to know, right? Because then we make those steps towards working it. And it's totally possible to reverse all the symptoms associated with that. They say it's not possible to reverse the disease once it's there, but you can, you know, live with it and not have any of the negative symptoms, which is really, really nice. But you could only really start to do that if you know um, what you're working with. Yeah. This is determined for hyperthyroidism or hypothyroidism. Is that what the end result ends up being when you test it? Um, determine that with a test. So somebody could have hypothyroidism or hyperthyroidism or Graves disease. Autoimmune thyroidism is like a whole nother thing, but yes, it's connected to hypo or hyper, which is basically like a low functioning thyroid or a high functioning thyroid. 
Um, but somebody can have an unbalanced thyroid, but not an autoimmune disease, right? So that's why it's important to check those antibody markers because those antibodies, you can kind of think of them as like little soldiers. And just because there's a lot of them doesn't necessarily mean that they've waged a war on the thyroid gland yet, but it's good to know, right? If the soldiers are going into training and they're getting ready for something, it's good to know how to not trigger them um, because then there can be, you know, irreversible damage to the, to the thyroid gland. So um, yes, connected to hypo and hyperthyroidism, but the autoimmune level is a whole nother level. You seen any trends, you know, in your experience in your practice of people with autoimmune um, issues, whether it's lifestyle, nutrition, environment, that may have just amplified that over time? Yeah. I mean, just our food quality, right? So for many of us here and listening to this, like most of our grandparents ate real food, right? Even if it was like a apple pie with like a ton of butter and flour and sugar, it was real food. Um, and like you mentioned earlier, maybe Canada is just a little bit behind the States as far as our current, you know, massive eating um, habits for better or worse. But now there's just all these like Franken food products, right? Which just confuses the body and, um, you know, Pottinger's cats, there's all this, like these different research studies that show that it takes generations to see the decline or the decay, or even just the rise in infertility or, you know, different, um, um, like birth challenges, or as far as autoimmune diseases go, I mean, our bodies are designed to survive and reproduce, right? So our bodies want us to be healthy as long as we help them out a little bit. But when you put in all these different, you know, xenoestrogens in the water, right. Or different, um, like pharmaceuticals, it just, it can get really, really complicated. So there's definitely a huge rise in autoimmunity overall. And even with kids, which is so sad to see, you know, I was just listening to another research study, um, recently that was talking about, you know, the carcinogens that the FDA allows in our food system, um, like knowing carcinogens, but they're based on the average adult man, right? So if it's food or like cereal or something for a child to be eating, children are like five times more likely to be reactive to the, those carcinogens than an adult man. And the amount that's allowed in food is based on the weight and body and mass of an adult man, which is clearly like way bigger than the average child. So um, it's just a little bit tricky these days, which again, is just why we have to be our own advocates and do our own research and, you know, listen to things like this, follow people like Chris Fudge and, you know, just really take our health into our own hands because it is our responsibility, not just for us, but for like the next generations too. I wonder how much things are, are based off of the average height and weight of a male. And the only reason why I say that is, uh, uh, I remember years ago when I started in fitness, mm-hmm. machines in the gym, I, I, right away, I was like, my small people don't fit. And yeah. my really big people don't fit. And then I mm-hmm. said, who fits in this machine? Probably 5'11", 6 feet, 190 mm-hmm. pound human, mm-hmm. an average male. Mm-hmm. Then I remember just utilizing like I was, you know, a, a teenager using supplements at your local supplement store. And they all had the same uh, supplement, uh, intake, same amount per person per serving. Everyone takes this, everyone takes this. And I remember taking like a caffeine pump, a dump, stupid thing. And I remember being like a 130 pound kid and I would take a scoop of a pre-workout. I remember like this, the caffeine levels were so through the roof and the way I felt. And I remember being like, maybe I should take half. And I went later on down the road, there are a lot of supplementation like, protocols of like, you you know, you're not great, not quality supplements, but it was always based off, you know, an average size male. 
just from a supplement standpoint, then machine standpoint, now you're talking carcinogenic standpoint. That's ridiculous. I know it is. It is ridiculous. It's almost like a system is set up against us or something. And even just supplements, at least here in the States, you know, the supplement industry is way less regulated than the food industry. And I like that you just mentioned, um, you know, less quality supplements or more quality supplements, because oftentimes in life, we get what we pay for, right? So since our supplement industry is less regulated than the food industry, technically up to 40%, 40% of what's in the supplement doesn't need to be listed on the label which is like mind blowing to me. So when I'm working with clients who are really, really sensitive, you know, they've had these chronic issues for years or decades and they've never been able to get answers or get results and they can be very reactive or maybe even like an autoimmune disease reactive to strange ingredients. It doesn't have to be listed on the label, let alone it's just kind of a ripoff for the consumer, right? If it says that it's a thousand milligrams of vitamin C and technically it could just legally be 600 milligrams of vitamin C and 400 milligrams of something else. It's like, it's just, that's doing more harm than good. So oftentimes with supplements, it's better to take like none or just take really good ones. Right. So of course people like me, or I'm sure you're a naturopath would look at your blood work and say, this is what you need. And this is the dosage that you need. And this quality, like get this one because it's been tested to be pure and, you know, digestible and all of those things. Yeah. We run into problems here in, in Canada. So I compete in a sport that's drug tested. And what ends up happening is athletes will go into a, a local supplement store and they'll randomly grab, you know, five or six uh, different items. And on the back, it'll list blah, blah, blah. And they'll say, okay, I'm good to go. And then they go and they compete in the sport and they get drug tested and they fail a drug test. Mm. Because something that, and they say, Hey, I actually only take these standard supplements. It's not listed, but it's there. Right. And then I'll also find um, other clientele who, who, Hey, I need to get, you know, a, pea protein or a protein supplement, right? And then they're like, everyone that I take from this store gives me gas, bloating, diarrhea. And I'm like, that, that ain't, that ain't good. <laughs> it's not good for you. So like yeah. you said before, if you're going to invest in supplementation to go into your body, quality matters. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. And for yourself, because you'll prescribe supplements for, for clients based, you get the blood work and say, okay, now you guys and girls need to get this, 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 this here. You use medical grade stuff. Right? You're not sending them down to the local um, you know, grocery no. store and stuff. No. And then sometimes people are like, well, it costs more, right? But then oftentimes what happens with the better quality supplements is they don't get those negative side effects. It's also not causing any other health problems and they get to take it for less time, right? So they have like low vitamin D or something even possible if you live in Hawaii to have low vitamin D, you know, a lot of people have low vitamin D. For a second, I was like, wait a minute there. No, but even if it's just low vitamin D, then they just need less of the good quality supplement because it actually works. Right. So they don't have to take it forever and ever, which is, you know, important. And I think you and I can agree on the same, the same aspect of nutrition and food. Sometimes, you know, it costs more in some areas to, it costs more to eat healthier. Hmm but then you're not paying for it down the road, right? Absolutely. Oh my goodness. It's like the average American ends up spending over 10 grand a year or something on like medical expenses. And -hmm. the number is just going up more and more and not even with inflation. So if you count that, it's going to be astronomical, but it's, you know, at the end of the day, yes, of course, money matters. And of course, that's why we always work with each of our clients because some of them might not be able to afford organic. So we just figure out what some of the other options are. But what about time, right? What about just like sludging through every day, feeling sad and tired and unhappy, right? There's like different things besides just the cost that is important, but also like 
what about dying at the age of 60 versus the age of 80? Like how valuable is that, right? So anyways, we're getting a little bit deep here, but they're just really important questions to ask when people are thinking about, you know, saving time or money or energy and what really matters, right? We all have a vote with like what kind of industries we're supporting. Mm-hmm. To bring it back to uh, blood work, lab work, and so forth, let's talk about some of the big bangers out there that people get tested. What do they actually mean? So we look at B vitamins. I've had people before say, oh, my, my vitamin B is low. I need a vitamin B supplement. And I said, well, what, which one? Well, this is vitamin B, right? So can you elaborate? What is vitamin B? Why is there so many different ones? And what do they do for the body? Yeah. So our B vitamins, you know, are really important for all sorts of different things. And of course, like when you dive into each and every single B vitamin, like they're, they have different benefits. One of the things again, is why I recommend working with somebody who can like analyze it because you can see different systems. So like homocysteine, for example, which we haven't really talked about yet, you know, if that's out of balance, oftentimes there are broad spectrum of B vitamins that are missing. Um, and when people have their homocysteine out of balance, oftentimes it feels like a hangover, which so many people feel like that they have brain fog, they have fatigue, they have tender points or soreness, you know, they're kind of cranky or irritable. They're not sleeping very well. And that's oftentimes what we see, um, when the homocysteine is out of balance. So of course, you know, there's, um, energy is kind of the main one. If I was just going to answer that question, like really quickly, I would say like energy. So if we feel like we're super low energy, then maybe there's a deficiency in some B vitamins, but other than just knowing that the reason is knowing why, right? So is the immune system out of balance? Is there an infection? Is there some gut dysbiosis, right? So it's like, what is going on? Is cortisol through the roof and it's using up a lot of those B vitamins. Um, Mm -hmm. That's where we just want to like dig a step further. And that's why we'll see, you know, if you go to the grocery store and get like an iced tea or like an energy drink, there's a lot of B vitamins in there, right? They're kind of like super energizing. I don't think I got homocysteine tested. I was just looking at my lab work here. Oh, snap. Well, next time, Chris. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, so that one's there. Let's talk a little bit about um, uh, cholesterol. This is very confusing for a lot of people. There's HDL, there's LDL. What is cholesterol? What does it do for the body? And why do we need to monitor its numbers? Yes. So cholesterol has a super bad rap, um, cholesterol, right? So it's actually kind of like, you can think of it as a steroid and cholesterol is really, really important. So of course, all things in balance, but, um, how do we say this in a way again, it has a really bad rap. So sometimes it feels hard to talk about like the good benefits of cholesterol, but most of our brain is cholesterol, right? So there's actually a lot of really serious health effects when the cholesterol is too low. And of course there's like LDL and HDL and all these different types and the good cholesterol and the bad cholesterol. But um, sometimes we just need to ask ourselves like, what was the funding or like the lobbying behind some of these, you know, markers being super shamed, um, you know, like never having butter or never having an egg yolk. It's like, actually it's probably okay to eat, you know, food in its entirety, as long as it's from a healthy source, but cholesterol is important. I mean, it's really essential for our brain. There's also a lot of research that shows, especially with women um, and also with men too, but especially as we age, like in our sixties, our seventies, our eighties, some research says that actually having higher cholesterol levels leads to like less levels of like Alzheimer's and dementia, because again, most of our brain is cholesterol. So we do need cholesterol. I mean, if people are getting, you know, 
like fast food sources of cholesterol, that's clearly different than having some chickens in the backyard and having some egg yolks every day, like, right. Or having some grass fed butter or ghee, like very, very good, healthy levels of cholesterol. But of course, if it's an excess, um, then it can lead to like clogging of the arteries and different heart diseases and things like that. So, um, I mean, I've seen people before with um, um, cholesterol levels extremely high, total cholesterol extremely high, but then they get, uh, what is it, the arthro, uh, uh, arthrosclerosis. Uh, it, it's a test to see if there's any plaque buildup throughout the arteries and veins and the scores of zero. Yeah. High cholesterol scores a zero on a plaque buildup throughout the body. And they tend to kind of fall into more of the carnivore-based diet, nose to tail stuff. So even though their cholesterol levels are high, every other marker is down. They're lean, they're healthy. Um, that's just an example, right? Like what you're saying is that when it can be high and it's okay, because I think a lot of other people would say that, well, if you have high blood pressure, you're pre-diabetic or you are diabetic, right? You have a high resting heart rate, you have high triglycerides and your cholesterol levels are up. And they say, oh, cholesterol is causing all this. Don't eat eggs. Right. Yeah. Or just have egg whites or, you know, yeah, I know things like that are just a little bit tricky and that's where you would just talk to them. Right. And see like if they have, you know, different sort of like history of heart attack. Right. But what you're saying is a perfect example where that, if that person feels very healthy and they're fine and they're just kind of checking in with their blood work, they have a relatively healthy diet. Right. And everything else looks good, but cholesterol is a little bit high and it's probably probably fine. Right. I mean, of course, everybody's different we would need to look at it. Um, but that's just where, yeah. Or then, you know, it also ties in with blood sugar. Um, it is important, you know, to like, look at all these, like, what does B vitamin mean? What does like glucose mean? Like what is cholesterol? What is homocysteine? But it's from my perspective and my experience, it's really the pattern and like the connection between them all. So as you're explaining this one client, you know, who has like really high cholesterol, but everything else looks fine. Like I'm curious, what does their glucose look like? Right. Like what does their hemoglobin A1C look like? Like, mm-hmm. is that affecting their blood sugar at all? Um, because if it was, and it would tell us some more things about them. Mm-hmm. What you were saying before, like it has a bad rap, right? Sometimes see it, I always think of the analogy of um, a, a car gets in a car crash, right? And it's totaled. Everything is just smashed. You bring it into the shop and the mechanic says, looks at a totally destroyed car and says, um, yeah, your, your rear window needs replaced. <laughs> right like they're not looking at the at the whole thing right they just they pick one thing and they say that's the cause yeah and it's like actually there's more right like yeah there's so much more to the picture so um but it's really fun you know it's exciting to see everything that's going on and i would just you know anybody who wants to learn more about their body i would definitely dive into your blood work but also your whole body like what you just said chris right like make sure somebody's looking at you know your hormones your amino acids you know your symptoms your sleep your diet your mindset because yeah you don't want to be that like total car and then only get you know the rear mirror replaced or the rear window. It's like everything else works together. And the nice part about that too, is when you do work with somebody or you yourself take a more holistic approach, then a lot of the other little things that are out of balance can just fix themselves, which is great, right? Because we would never want to do like 20 things at once and overwhelm ourselves. And I know that we can even just see this in the gym too, right? Like we don't work out every single muscle every single day, but sometimes doing some of the bigger, you know, broad spectrum exercises then can help all the other areas of our body also, right? When we're working like as a system. Mm-hmm. In your experience, have you found that um, nutrition and food plays an extremely large role in changing you know, people's blood chemistry? If, if they've been eating really bad, then they flip it to a certain way. 
like more, maybe more effective than exercise, more effective, you know, than meditation. Oh, yes. A hundred percent. I mean, yeah. So that's what I am, right? I'm like a holistic nutritional consultant. So clearly I'm biased, but food is like, we all do that, right? I mean, we all eat food and also it's really interesting too, is like what kinds of foods are best for all of us. So we could all probably agree that real whole foods, like what we were saying earlier, you know, even if it's an apple pie with real sugar, real apples, like probably better than something that's like in the freezer section that goes in the microwave, but really just learning, you know, what kind of foods work best for you. I mean, I had an amazing client, you know, who was uh, well over 200 pounds. And then we did her blood work and we, I didn't really even recommend any exercise. She's going on some walks and things, but um, essentially we found out that there was an oxalate sensitivity. So that means not eating things like spinach, not eating things like almonds, not eating things like cacao, right? And so many people, when they're trying to be healthy, you know, they have like beans or rice or these different foods. So learning, you know, maybe for some people, like what you said earlier, more like carnivore type diet might be good for some people, maybe for some people, a more autoimmune type diet or a more paleo type diet. Um, and, you know, it's common for people to experiment on themselves, right? And be like, oh, I'm going to try this diet or try that diet or, you know, try this supplement or this protein powder. But that's kind of like shooting in the dark, really, unless you know exactly what's going on in your body. It's nice to see like, oh, maybe a, a keto diet would be good for me. Or for some people, intermittent fasting, the best. For some people, the worst, right? So instead of wasting like time, money, and energy and just your own life force on like experimenting and then feeling frustrated when things don't work out, sometimes easier just to like look at the answer key that's within your body and say, oh, what would, what would be good for me? Yeah, uh, I, I agree uh, full full force with what you're saying there. In my industry, I would like to be biased and say exercise solves everything, but <laughs> even close to nutrition. <laughs> In my experience over the years, I have trained people; they're unhealthy. It doesn't matter what we do in the gym, how many reps, how many sets, how many times they're working out. If they, mm -hmm. they go to that parking lot and they go and, and they go right to a fast food restaurant, right? They're not sleeping. Like it just like it doesn't matter. But I've trained people very, very easy, very light, two sessions a week. But when they can flip the mindset and they start eating things that grow from the ground, eating things that walk on the ground, they're not eating things in boxes. They're not eating things that are frozen. You know what I mean? Their health improves dramatically. I wish I could say the exercise was a big carrier, but in my experience, it's the nutrition all the way, 100% makes a huge difference. Yeah. Yeah. And why not, why not do it all? Right. Like why not do nutrition and exercise and fun with friends and some nature time and some laughter and, you know, but definitely nutrition is a, a big piece. Cause it goes back to those two principles we talked about earlier. We all need oxygen and fuel, right? Mm -hmm. So just taking some nice big deep breaths sometimes is really healing and very helpful, but also the food that we eat, right. That whole thing, we are what we eat or eat like your life depends on it. So. Have, you ever, have you ever dealt with anyone that had uh, negative reactions to things like chicken? So at first I was going to say no, but then, you know, I was thinking about some clients who had some really serious, like irritable bowel syndrome things, or like some really serious gut infections. Um, so yes, for some clients who are just super sensitive to anything that they eat, then there's definitely some things that need to be balanced out there. And it, 
but not specifically like everything is fine that they eat, but only chicken. Um, I haven't seen that in my practice, but I have seen clients who are just really sensitive and really reactive to almost everything where maybe they have like SIBO, like small intestinal bacterial overgrowth or um, something else really serious going on, which, you know, it's possible to help fix those things. But um, yeah, it would be more of a systemic issue if that, that was the case. Dr. Norm uh, Robitaille, he is, um, he's a, what is he? he's a biologist and he studies bacteria and he came out with a couple books about SIBO and how to treat SIBO. And what he identified was it's always a load amount of carbohydrates and the types of carbohydrates. And he found that, that the bacteria of SIBO lives off the glucose, right? So you could identify your high, you know, your high sugars, your low sugars, pretty much starve it. And then mm-hmm. it, it dies out and it goes away and then you can change your, your gut bacteria and, and you can be good. So he, he was a very interesting person I had on the podcast before. And he was talking about that as for chicken. Uh, I, w- I was dealing with someone and just, just, to, you know, to make things clear, like I'm a personal trainer, I'm a strength conditioning coach. I make suggestions when it comes to nutrition and I send them to experts like yourself, but I was working with this one lady and um, she only wanted to eat chicken. And I'm like, ah, I should probably just eat a few other things, you know? And she's like, no, I just want chicken. It was chicken, romaine, lettuce, chicken, romaine, lettuce, chicken, salad, chicken, 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 a weight loss individual. And then started talking to me about this rash she had, and this rash was getting worse. And I was yeah. like, listen, whatever you're doing is not working. I think yeah. you should just change and, and not eat the chicken, try eat something else. And it was just bizarre. She's like, I don't really feel that beef is good. I'm like, just try it. Just try something different. Try seven days, see what happens. Yeah. After day one, of switching off chicken, her rash was reduced by 50%. Day two, 75, day three, gone, gone. Mm-hmm. And um, so we were just like, maybe it is the chicken. So she just stayed away from chicken for weeks and then brought chicken back in. And just like that, it just came back. So then my thought process is, I don't think chicken is bad, but what if it's maybe the type of chicken, right? Because it, well, I don't know how it is in the US, but here in Canada, a lot of times you're getting chickens that have been maybe a little bit genetically modified. They're not as big as they used to be. They're given specific hormones to make them grow fatter faster, right? Then they get sick. Then they're given antibiotics, right? And then maybe if you ingest that animal that was corn raised, corn fed, corn finished, soy finished, and then your body doesn't digest that and you eat it, it can have a negative side effect. Is there any truth to that? Oh yeah. A hundred percent. Right. I mean, it's, it's so much of it has to do with our quality. Right. But again, I mean, if, if we're working with somebody who's only eating at McDonald's or fast food, then getting any sort of chicken at the grocery store and cooking it at home is better than that. Right. And then the next step is getting like an organic chicken or then the next step, like a pastured organic or the next step farmer's market or the next step growing chicken and slaughtering them yourself. Right. So there's always a spectrum um, of like, I encourage my clients to do like micro upgrades, right? I like to say swap and upgrades. That way it's sustainable for the long run, right? And it's not overwhelming or like some fad diet, but just take one little baby step in the right direction, like one step more. Um, So hundred percent agree with you there, Chris, about like the quality of the chicken for sure. Um, A whole tangent about like that same exact thing with wheat and why there's like so many like gluten sensitivity in the States versus in Europe. Um, But then the other thing too, is like, we can make ourselves reactive to just about anything. So if somebody's only eating chicken, that's a lot of people would make the argument, but that's not necessarily what we were designed to just only eat chicken and romaine lettuce every single day. So we can make, you know, an intolerance to ourselves um, 
if that's like a food sensitivity that's being created or self-inflicted. So hopefully she has the ability to, you know, digest that in the future. Or like sometimes people who go on like more raw or vegan or vegetarian diet, they can kind of lose some of those enzymes that are essential to breaking down maybe meat or other foods if they didn't eat it for a long time. So overall for most people, it's good to have like a nice balanced diet. Yeah. Have you ever eaten raw meat? Have you ever tried it? Yeah. But like good quality, right? Like pasture, not like from the generic grocery store. So yeah, when somebody is going to eat raw meat, then that used to be a very common dish, right? Like, uh, I forget what it's called, but um, like, is it steak tartar? I forget what it's called, but you know, it used to be a common thing, but before cathos, um, yeah. So I, I had a gentleman on here a few, um, about a month ago and um, just a, just a normal guy. He was very sick. He wanted to get better. So he started eating more, you know, uh, just animal stuff, got a little bit better. And then he thought, what happens if you just eat it raw? So he's gone, he's on like day 156 of eating raw meat every day. And he's surviving. Like he's thriving off raw meat. And I don't mean like he just has uh, like sushi grade sushi. Like he, he literally will just go to a Whole Foods and, and he might just get a kidney. And then he goes and just eats the kidney for lunch or like ground beef. You know, he, he goes as clean as he can, like grass fed, grass finished stuff. But he just eats it. And I was talking to him and I'm like, nothing. He's like, I feel great. I feel great. His body's just adapted. And he said, I think people were eating this a long time ago. And he's, he's not in fitness, right? And I said, yeah. I think there's some truth to that too. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's a great book called Primal Body, Primal Mind, right? By Norgut Goddess that dives into some of the benefits of raw meat and things. But that's, again, where just everybody is different. Like that might be working for him now. It might work for him forever. He might at some point feel like he wants to eat differently and hopefully he'll listen to his body or maybe he'll get blood work done and it says he needs some some other things. But um, oh, that ties into cholesterol a little bit, what we were talking about before. Like sometimes, you know, people who don't eat any animal foods, like cholesterol only comes animal from animal products, right? Even if they're just like eggs or mayonnaise or things like that, but that's super essential. So there's on the flip side, when people are only eating meat, they're missing out on some of the nutrients or some of the vitamins maybe that can be offered from like vegetables, for example, or fiber, right? But um, everyone's different, which is so cool. And it makes it a little bit tricky with nutrition sometimes because it's like, well, just what's the right thing to do? Um, but that's where everybody just needs to do that research on themselves and see. Agreed. So if someone's listening to this right now and they're, they're interested in your, in your functional blood chemistry analysis, I mean, you're down in Hawaii and stuff and they want to find out a little bit more, how would they go about that? Absolutely. Well, just reach out to us. I mean, we work with people all over the world. Um, so super easy now with the internet these days, you know, just doing it online, but our website is kiriahealth.com. So it's K Y R I A H E A L T H.com or at Curia Health on you know, Facebook or Instagram. You can email us info, I N F O at CuriaHealth.com. Um, yeah, we really love working with people from all over the world. You know, we work with people before in Canada and, you know, in Europe and in the Middle East. And it's just really interesting to see what's going on inside mm-hmm. the body. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I thank you so much for taking the time to come on the podcast today. I'm going to link all that information um, in the show notes here. So if you're listening and you want to get in touch, you can do that. So forth. Um, If anyone's listening right now and they're on the fence, they're like, maybe I should try some of this stuff. You know, what piece of advice would you give them about getting blood work, lab work? 
I would just say to check out our website and we have a lot of free resources on there. Um, we have a really great webinar that explains more about functional blood chemistry analysis and like, you know, some of the markers and things that we talked about today on the show. But if somebody was just like, I don't know about this, but I'm curious, I would just say, yeah, go to our website, curiahealth.com and you can just download the webinar. It's on demand and then you can learn even more about it. It's a good place to start. Awesome. Love it. Project Fitness Podcast, thanks you so much. I thank you so much for taking your time to come on here today. Uh, I appreciate you, everything you're doing to make the world a better place. So again, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. And likewise, let me know when you're out in Hawaii, bring the family. I needed a reason. Now I got one. I got to go get my blood work done in Hawaii. That's what it is. It's a business expense. Come on out. (laughs) Awesome. Thank you so much. Bye. Never stop learning because life never stops teaching. If you've learned at least one thing from this podcast and your mission is to help other people, please share this podcast with them. And a reminder, we will be releasing one episode every Monday for the entire year. So make sure to hit subscribe so you get the updated information as soon as possible. Today is the first day of the rest of your life. And thank you so much for allowing me to be part of it.